Well, it's just a delight for me to be here this morning again, and um, I'm so grateful to you for uh, asking me to come on a semi-regular basis, and uh, I enjoy very much being here in Moodysburn. If you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn uh, with me to Exodus chapter 2, Exodus 2, and I'm going to read the first um, 10 verses of Exodus chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now just a prayer together. Lord, we pray that as we ponder this uh, ancient text of Scripture, thousands of years old, this story, familiar probably to some of us, maybe most of us, we ask, Lord, that you'll cause it to live to us. And we pray that as we look at it this morning, that the truth that it contains might come to our hearts with real freshness. And we pray that you'll encourage us. And we pray that our faith and our confidence in you might be buoyed as a result of our study this morning. So minister to us, we humbly pray and speak to us in the way that only you can. We pray this in the strong name of our Saviour. Amen. Well, the story of um, this passage of Scripture actually begins in in the book just previous, the book of Genesis. Um, Joseph, whose father was Jacob, had been uh, sold into slavery by his evil brothers. Wicked brothers, I guess, maybe is a better way to describe them. Sold their own brother into slavery and he ended up on the slave trestles of Egypt and was sold into Potiphar's house and there he became a Potiphar's servant or Potiphar's slave. 
But God's hand was upon this young boy and the journey that he was taking, uh, bringing him to the right place at the right time so that he could step onto the stage of world history. And and, uh, God was raising him up to be the saviour of the world in a sense, in a physical sense, in that there was a severe famine and through his uh, supernatural insight he was able to provide food for the Egyptians. But maybe more importantly his own family during that period of famine. And remember it's from his family that one day the saviour of the world will come. Um, That was fine. Joseph was a great leader in Egypt. His father went down uh, to see him and to be with him. And of course uh, his brothers were given the finest parts of Egypt to live in, the land of Goshen, where they could set up camp and set up home. And life was pretty sweet in, in Egypt, at least in those early days. But along came uh, an Egyptian pharaoh who no longer remembered Joseph, didn't know Joseph, didn't know what had happened uh, through the leadership and the divine insight of Joseph. And soon the Hebrews began to be persecuted because the Egyptians felt threatened by just the sheer number of Hebrews that were present in Egypt and thought these people could take over our country. And they began to feel threatened and as a consequence they began to really persecute and ill-treat the Hebrews. In chapter 1, there's a couple of midwives introduced to us, and they were given orders by Pharaoh to make sure that the lives of Hebrew baby boys were ended before they started, and they were to take care of that during the whole birthing process. Of course, they failed to comply with Pharaoh's orders, and uh, they refused to put these baby boys, Hebrew boys, to death at the moment of their birth, and so the story continued. But it seems that Pharaoh did give up and one of the new orders that he issued was that all Hebrew boys were to be thrown into the river Nile now there's no mention of God in this narrative or this little text of scripture that I read to you God's name isn't really mentioned in this story but don't think for one minute that God has forgotten his people as they find themselves in these difficult circumstances because God is in the process in these chapters, even though his name is not mentioned, he is in the process of raising up another saviour for his people. Someone that will lead his people out of Egypt and its bondage and tyranny and into the freedom of the wilderness and eventually on to the land that had been promised to Abraham. Uh, Of course, Joseph's great-great-grandfather. But I just want to sow this little seed to you. Although God is at work raising up this man called Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the land that was promised to Abraham, way down in Ur of the Chaldees beside the Persian Gulf, that's where God first spoke to Abraham. Although God is in this story now, and he's raising up this uh, individual to be the leader of Egypt, or of, of Israel, and to lead them out of Egypt, that won't come for another 80 years. Moses will spend 40 years living in the palaces of Egypt, walking the corridors of power, learning how to be a leader, 
learning all kinds of military stuff. Forty years he'll spend walking the corridors of power in Egypt. And then he'll spend another forty years after he does something really silly and has to make a run for it. He'll spend another forty years living in the backside of the desert tending some sheep. Forty years he will spend learning how to be a nobody after he spent forty years being a somebody. God is raising up someone who will deliver his people. But that deliverance is a long way off, 80 years in fact. And the reason for that is that God's time scale is not the same as our time scale. God has own time scale. And God's time or timing is always best. It's always perfect. Sometimes I want to see things happen now. I want to see God answer my prayers immediately, not tomorrow, but now, not in 80 years, but now. I want God to to break in now and do the things that I want him to do. But here's a fact that we need to wrestle with. God's timing may not be our timing. And some of the things that we've been asking God for may not actually come for another 80 years. We must be patient And we must wait for God's time. And we must remember that if things are not happening the way that we would like them to, or as quickly as we would like them to, that does not mean that God is inactive or disinterested. God is very interested. And God is very active in this story. He's just working to a different time frame. God's working too from an eternal perspective and we must trust God's wisdom in all of this. Well, uh, waiting time is not wasted time. Uh, I've discovered that in life. There are things that I have on my heart. I'd like to see them now. Uh, But I've discovered that God doesn't always answer my prayers right now. And that in this waiting time, as you sit in God's waiting room, It's not a wasted time. And God often does lots of things in your life in the waiting room that he couldn't do anywhere else. Well, I want to try and lift three things out of this uh, passage that I've read to you. Um, They are kind of loosely alliterated. I hope that makes it somewhat helpful. And if it doesn't, you can tell me afterwards and I'll, I'll try to change it next time round. I want you to think about the people to whom Moses was related, first of all. The people to whom Moses was related. Secondly, I want you to think about the providence of God to which Moses was indebted. Because God's hand was clearly upon him as he's rescued from the river Nile. And then thirdly, I want you to think about the princess Uh, by whom Moses was adopted. So those were the three things. And we'll begin by looking at the people to whom Moses was related. And there's two things that I want to try and pull out of this uh, story in terms of the people that Moses was related to, mostly his family. First of all, I just want you to think about there's just a, a striking simplicity, isn't there, about this story. The story starts with an ordinary couple. One of them, the husband is called Amran, the the wife is called Jochebed. 
Uh, Exodus 6.20, you'll pick up their names. Both of them are from the tribe of Levi. seems that the author of Scripture finds that important to tell us. That will become important a little bit later on in the life of Aaron and, of course, Moses uh, in, in the years to come. But at this point, the author tells us that they were from the tribe of Levi. This little couple, either they fell in love or arrangements, as was the case in the day, were made for them to be married by their families. They had children. One of them was Miriam. She was their firstborn, their eldest daughter. And she's not yet quite in her teens. Exodus chapter 2 verse 4. She had a brother and his name was Aaron and he's around three years of age. Two children they have and a blessing those two children must have been to them. Many might have criticized them for bringing another baby into the world at such a difficult time, especially when they ran the risk of having a boy and having to obey Pharaoh and throw this boy into the river Nile to the crocodiles. Wouldn't it be better to have no baby than to risk having a boy that you would have to murder? But sometimes these things happen even when you don't plan them. Jochebed, whether planned or not, found herself pregnant with a baby and a little boy was duly born into their family. Now when you think about the destiny of this little boy... um, This boy will one day be one of Israel's greatest leaders. One day this boy, this baby boy, will stand resolute on behalf of the Israelites or the Hebrews before the iron-fisted Pharaoh of Egypt, the superpower of the day, and demand that he let the Israelites go into freedom. One day this little boy will stand on the banks of the river Nile and turn it into blood. One day this little boy will call down such judgments on these aggressors that they will will have no option but to let the Israelites or the Hebrews go. But it hurts so simply, doesn't it? Just a mum and a dad and three children, two siblings and himself, a brother and sister, and one little chap called Moses, as we will discover a little bit later. He would be born during one of Israel's darkest hours, and Moses not only rose out of obscurity, a simple family, but he rose out of heart-rending adversity to become God's man for God's moment. I find that deeply encouraging because yet again we see the kind of people that God picks up and uses. He calls ordinary, ordinary, ordinary people. Those are the kind of people that God uses. Not many of them have angels announce their birth. One or two do. Samson. But not many of the people that God picks up and uses have angels announce their birth. Maybe you're wondering, could God ever use someone like you because you feel so ordinary? Your family isn't terribly rich. Your dad never drove you to church or to school in a Ferrari. You never attended any press shoots. No one ever asked for your autograph. You haven't even got a colourful background to draw on. 
You, you can't talk about being in prison for using drugs or selling drugs. You're just very, very ordinary. You haven't been involved in paramilitary activity. You haven't got yourself into trouble in Glasgow because of those marches. Just very ordinary, ordinary person. And you wonder, could God use someone so ordinary as me? Just a simple Joe Bloggs from some address that no one else has heard of? Well... I just want you to be encouraged. Maybe God could do something with you. He picked up this little boy from a very ordinary background and family and did something really incredible incredible with him. Here's a second thing. Not only is there a s- simplicity, but for me there's a spirituality in this uh, family that he is related to. Pharaoh gave orders to throw the... Hebrew baby boys into the river Nile and I'm not sure how he ensured that those orders were carried out maybe there were house to house searches I'm not even sure what kind of consequences Amram and Jochebed would have faced uh, because they had disobeyed Pharaoh but this couple were prepared to defy uh, the laws of their land in honor, in in order to honor the law of God. Verse tells us. Verse two tells us that they were motivated by the fact that they saw that the baby was f- fine. I think is the way the NIV has translated it. Um, the word is tov, and it's it could actually be linked to. Uh, the word that's used in, in the early chapters of Genesis when God created the world, he saw that it was good. And uh, there could be a parallel here when they saw this baby that had been born to them. They saw that it was a good baby. Maybe they sensed that there was something special about this baby right from those early days. The truth is, I, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, They saw that the baby was fine. Some of the translations, they saw that the baby was beautiful. Now, when our kids were born, uh, I'll be honest with you, they had little red faces. Their skin was all crinkled and wrinkled. And uh, they didn't look that beautiful. But to us as parents, they were precious. There was something just special about them. Something that went much deeper than those little red faces and wrinkled skin. There was something really precious about what was now lying in our arms. And and you can understand Jochebed and Amran. There's no way in the world they would throw this little one into the River Nile if they could help it at all. They looked at their little one and they saw how special he was and they decided we're not going to comply with the wishes of the Pharaoh. We're going to do our living best to try and protect this little boy. And beyond their natural love as parents for this little guy, there was their faith in God. Because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So there's a faith thing going on here. Their hiding of this boy is not just motivated by their love for him, but by their faith in God. They knew that God was pro-life. 
They, they felt that they would have to risk their own lives doing what was right in God's eyes, rather than complying with the wishes of an evil dictator. And they believed that no matter what happened, God could see them through those days. So instead of feeding their son to the crocodiles in the River Nile, they kept the fact of his presence secret for the first three months of his life. For three months they kept him concealed in their hut or their tent in one of the slums in Egypt where they as slaves would have lived. For three months they kept him concealed. Now that must have been a fairly nerve-wracking experience. Trying to keep a child quiet in a tent for three months must have been just frightening. Every time that he cried, Jochebed must have just rushed to attend to him and make sure that somehow she soothed him so that he wouldn't cry and he wouldn't be discovered. I don't know whether he was a good sleeper or a bad sleeper. I don't know what kind of baby he was. When, when, when our uh, second oldest daughter was born, so we had, we had one girl, she was just a textbook baby, did everything when she was supposed to do, sleeping all night from about 10 weeks, just brilliant. And we thought, well, this is little buns, we could do this again. So we had another daughter. She was a complete nightmare. Uh, we went on a camping, ho- she didn't sleep all night for two years. And uh, we went on a camping holiday to France, and when we got there, it was a stupid decision, actually. But when we got there, we discovered we were going to be in rows of tents. And not only was the entrance to our tent here, there was a tent here, a tent here, and all up the row. And then behind us, there was another row of tents. So in the middle of the night, this guy shouts, shut that child up. So for the next two weeks, we were living on our nerves every time Jane cried. In fact, at one point, I just got her into the buggy and we walked around the campsite in the middle of the night. I'm sure people thought I'd lost my mind. But, you know, you can imagine what it was like for, for, for Jochebed trying to keep Moses concealed for three months in a slum, in a tent, in the middle of Egypt scared out of her wits that somebody somewhere would discover that she's got a baby and that this baby is being hidden. So what does she do when he becomes three months old? She can't keep him at home any longer. She makes a little wicker basket and she covers the outside of it with pitch and tar and she puts it at times, probably not all of the time, but at times she puts it in in the River Nile among the reeds. And uh, Moses' older sister Miriam is tasked with just playing along the bank of the river. Because nobody's going to question a little Hebrew girl who likes playing by the riverside. So she's there to keep an eye on this little basket. Now, that story, I don't know what strikes you about the story, but I'll tell you what strikes me about the story, is that most of the action in this story is actually carried out by women. That's what strikes me about this story. It's Jochebed who hides the child for three months. It's Jochebed who makes the basket and paints it with tar. It's Jochebed who brings it to the river. And no doubt it's Jochebed that tells Miriam to, pay, to play by the banks of the river and keep an eye on what's happening. And if Moses is the author of the book of Exodus, as some of us believe that he is... It's interesting that he tells this story and he highlights the role of his mother rather than his father. 
Now, I, I'm not saying that Amran was faithless. I think it's to his credit that he married a Hebrew, not an Egyptian, someone who shared his heart for God. I think it's to his credit that Moses was born within the context of a loving married relationship. But I just find it interesting that the person Moses highlighted was his mother in this story. Was his mother the leading light of the family? Mothers are often the leading light of a family. That's what I have discovered over the years. As I trundle around from place to place, if it wasn't for mothers and if it wasn't for women in the church, who knows what kind of a state it would be in. And I want to encourage those of you who are ladies here this morning, don't buy into the belief that the only important people are men. That's a lie from hell. The annals of history are full of the stories of great women of faith who have done incredible things for God. And when Moses was telling his story, the person that he remembered most was his mother. The hand that rocks a cradle rules the world. And you've no idea what God could do through you and your influence and your connections and your testimony. Yes, and even your family. So don't undersell yourself. You have a really important part to play in the economy of God. Jochebed is the person that's highlighted. Well, secondly, uh, a little bit about the people that he was related to. What about the providence that he was indebted to? Well, two quick things about that. Uh, So Moses is put in the basket. He's placed amongst the reeds in the River Nile. Maybe there's some allusions to Noah being kept safe in uh, an ark covered with bitumen. I don't quite know whether that's uh, reading into it too much. Miriam's told to play by the banks of the the river and keep an eye on her brother. Uh, And Pharaoh's daughter comes along to bathe in the sacred waters of the Nile. And of course in in ancient Egyptian paintings there's lots of pictures of, uh, of women in particular bathing in the sacred waters of the Nile. And here she comes, whether it was some sort of religious uh, thing that she was doing or whether she just needed to wash, who knows. She came to the river to, to bathe. And uh, she's, she's got all her attendants with her. She sees a basket. She sends what is probably her personal attendant to go and get the basket. And the basket is b- brought to her and she opens it and she recognizes that inside there's a, a baby and it's a Hebrew. I don't know how she knew it was a Hebrew. Maybe just by his face. Maybe he looked different from the Egyptian babies. Maybe just the whole circumstances. And she read, uh, she sort of thought as much as she thought about the fact that baby boys were to be killed. But unlike her father, she's compassionate. She's touched with the feelings of others. And and, and then there's Miriam standing there pretending to be surprised. Oh, you found a baby, have you? Wow, that's amazing. How are you going to feed this baby? Do you want me to go and get one of these Hebrew women who've lost their babies? Maybe one of them could nurse this baby for you and feed him. Oh, that's a good idea. Why don't you just do that? Go and find someone for me and they'll be able to mind him. So off Miriam goes and gets the baby's mother, Jochebed. And you can see Jochebed making her way to the river, not wanting to seem too excited, just kind of casually walking uh, to the place where the baby has been found. And when she gets there, 
the princess says to her, can you help me with this? I could help you with this. Well, if you mind him, I'll pay you child benefit. And it will go straight into your bank account and and your husband won't even see it. He'll never get a penny of it. You'll be able to spend it all yourself. Now, I, I don't know whether Jochebed had hoped for this. Or whether she had watched the routine of the princess and left the baby where the baby would be seen. The truth is, I, I don't know. I doubt it. But maybe. Uh, my feeling is that the whole thing just caught up with her by surprise. Um, but the truth is, I, 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 I don't quite know. But I am amazed at how God has turned this whole situation around. It's almost humorous. Pharaoh ordered that the baby should be thrown into the Nile. So that's exactly what they did. They put Moses in the Nile. It was from the palaces of Egypt that the orders of genocide came. But it was from the palaces of Egypt that that God sent a saviour for this little boy. A princess whose interest in Moses would guarantee his safety. Who could ever touch the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter? And God took this little Hebrew boy right into the palace, underneath the nose of the man who had ordered his death. I mean, isn't it? It's almost hilarious what God has done here. This little boy that should have been killed at the orders of the Pharaoh is brought right into the palace and underneath Pharaoh's nose and there's a lesson in this God can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or think God can turn situations around in ways that we never ever thought possible when I first came a pastor or a minister I I was working in Northern Ireland and there was a man in the congregation, uh, church, family, fellowship, whatever you want to call it, who had brought BCM to Northern Ireland, a chap called Tom McKinstry. And BCM, I don't know if you're aware of it, Bible Club Movement it used to be, and now it's called uh, Bible-Centered Ministries. And they do a lot of children's work, and, they, and he had uh, trusted God to provide the finance for this big camp center that they had bought. And... And he gave me a book, I was only there a short time, he gave me a book, and you know what the book was? Your God is Too Small. I don't know if that, by J.B. Phillips, I don't know if that reflected my preaching. Maybe it did. But the truth is, sometimes our God is too small. We put God in a little box and we keep him there. But God can do the unthinkable. God can do the unthinkable in your family, the people that weigh on your heart, this community. The truth is, God could do the unthinkable in this community, in this church. God rescued this little boy by someone from the palace. The the mighty Egyptian Pharaoh's daughter came and rescued this little boy. Is anything too difficult for God? Well, here's the second thing, not not just... um, the miracle as we think about the providence of God but his mother I, I just think this is really providential you might disagree with me but I think it's really providential Moses was privileged in the sense that he had what I think God wants every young child to have and that is the care of their mother Jochebed took her baby son back to her own little home and no one could touch him. 
And there she nursed him for the next number of years. And uh, there's every reason to believe that she had him to about the age of eight. Rather than, you know, through the nursing period. That, that was the age that uh, children were legally adopted in Egypt. And that was probably the age that he was taken to the palace and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So she had him until he was the age of eight. And I'm sure cherished every day with her son. She spent time with this boy. She told him about the God of heaven. The God of his grandfather and his great-grandfather. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. She taught him that his loyalty lay with the afflicted and not with the aggressor. That was something that would stay with him the rest of his life. As he rises to the defense later in this chapter, the defense of a, of a Hebrew slave. He never forgot his roots, never ever. And I would suggest to you that that, was, that had a lot to do with his mother. The years that he spent with his mother. Moses had the wonderful joy of his own mother's care during his preschool years and during his early infancy. Um, some of us are here and the truth is, as we think about where we are, we would need to say that it was partly because we had a godly mother. A mother who cared for us, who loved us, and who taught us the Bible, and told us about Jesus. And the truth is, where would we be without our mothers, some of us? Some of us are here and we didn't have that. But the good grace of God still caught up with us. And here we are, blessed out of our socks because of the goodness of God. I just uh, want to encourage you, if you have a godly mother, to give thanks for her. And, and some of us have children, and it's a great challenge to me as a father. You know, am I doing for my children what Jochebed did for Moses? So that when they leave home and go to wherever they go to, whether it's to work, whether it's to university, whatever they do, as they leave the family home and they become independent human beings will they have a deep sense of where they belong and where where their allegiances lie and the fact that they are that they should be among the people of God that's where they should Moses had that and i think it was largely due to his mother well finally and with this i'll be finished um the princess by whom he was adopted. Two quick things about that. There must have been incredible heartache, don't you think? Jochebed had the fact that one day she would have to hand over her son to the princess, hanging over her every day of her life. That's why I would suggest to you that every day was important and every day was precious. And what a, what a day it must have been when she packed his little suitcase and dressed him in one of his brother's hand-me-downs. And led him through the slums of Egypt and took him to the palace and gave him to the princess. What a difficult day that was for Jochebed and indeed for Moses. You could almost see her kissing him goodbye. It must have broke her heart. She had no idea if she would see him again or how much she would see him again. She was just a Hebrew slave doing an Egyptian princess a favor. With no reason to believe that she could just walk into the palace and see Moses any time she pleased. At best all she would have would be visiting rites. 
And part of me, I don't know if I'm odd and strange, but part of me asks, why? Why did she have to hand over her son to an Egyptian princess? Why couldn't he have stayed with her until the day came when God touched him on the shoulder and thrust him into leadership? Why did she have to hand him over to an Egyptian princess? And why did he have to grow up in such a difficult environment? And the truth is, I don't really know the answer to that question. I could suggest all kinds of answers. I, I could argue that maybe God wanted him uh, to learn how to be a leader and develop his leadership skills walking amongst the greats of Egypt. I could tell you that maybe he, God wanted him to develop as a soldier and there is some evidence to suggest that Moses had military experience. But the truth is, I really don't know. I don't know why his mother had to kiss him goodbye at the gates of the palace. All I know is that God had a plan in all of this. Because in Genesis 15, God told Abraham that this would happen. This sojourn in Egypt, 400 years of misery and difficulty. Not only does God have a plan, but God's presence. God promised Jacob, go down to see Jake, your son Joseph, and I'll be with you. So in all of this, I am absolutely sure that not only is Jochebed in God's hands and in God's plan, but she's got God's presence. And I know that a great future awaits these people in the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. I know that God is taking them back one day because he's promised to. And she had that prospect hanging over her every day that God will one day bring us back to the promised land And here is the truth. I don't know why carloads of Jewish children were taken in trains to the gas chambers in Auschwitz. I don't know why I had to stand with a couple and bury their two-year-old daughter. I don't have the answers to those questions. I just know three things. God has a plan. I believe that with all my heart. None of us catches God by surprise. We have God's presence. He promised that he will be with us. Even as we stand at the grave of our two year olds. And thirdly. We have the promise of a glorious future. Where these present sufferings will be eclipsed. By the glory that will be revealed in us. Heaven will make the difficulties of this earth fade. In comparison to the wonder of it all. So finally, I I want you to think about this, not only um, the heartache, but just for a few minutes, the homesickness. How do you think poor Moses felt when his mother left? How do you think he felt walking the corridors of power in an Egyptian palace? It must have been so overwhelming for this eight-year-old boy. I'm sure he cried himself to sleep many, many nights. And there were no words of comfort from his mother. There was no smile from his sister. There was no opportunity to go out and play with Aaron, his brother. Off to the temple at the crack of dawn to worship the sun god and study hieroglyphics. That was his life now. I'm sure he's tempted to resent his new life, to be bitter and to grow up to be incredibly difficult. But there's no indication that he ever did. He seems to have applied himself to his new life in an exceptional way. He had every reason to grow up to be a crazy, mixed up person. And the psychologists could have had a field day with him, snatched from his mother at eight and handed over to this regime. 
But Moses never forgot his roots. And he never forgot his true identity. He never forgot that he was one of God's people. And despite all of the difficulties of his early years, he grew up to be a a great man of God. And it goes to show that your past doesn't have to define you. The difficulties of childhood don't have to define you. By the grace of God, you can grow up to be a great man or a great woman of God. I was thinking about that blessing of, um, of, of, of Jacob for Joseph. If you, sometime you might want to read it. Jacob blesses Joseph. And he says to him, Joseph, you're a vine whose branches got over the wall. It's a great picture. Joseph, you didn't let the walls of circumstance hem you in. You pushed out beyond them and you became the man that God wanted you to be. And, and that can be true for us. I, I don't know what kind of background you have. My parents were divorced when I was six. My childhood was absolutely chaos. I still remember my parents fighting day after day after day. But that doesn't have to define you, does it? By the grace of God, you can push on with Him. And you can become the person that God wants you to be. So the three things were really simple. There was the people that he was related to. He had a godly mother, didn't he? I think he had a godly mother. And uh, he grew up with a deep sense that uh, he was one of God's people. And I I think it came from her. And yet it was a very simple family. You know, he's not getting lifts home from school in a Ferrari. It's just a simple, simple family. Mum and dad, three siblings, two siblings and himself. There was the providence that he was indebted to. I mean, the hand of God was on this young boy. And, and look at what God did. It's almost hilarious. Rescuing him from the river Nile and bringing him right into the palace. Underneath the nose of the man who ordered his death. See, God can do unthinkably more than we ever think is possible. And finally, there's a little bit about his life with this princess. Very interesting life, isn't it? Yet, he doesn't grow up to resent it. And he never (laughs) forgets who he is. And he grows up to be a great man of God. And in this story, you can't help but think, is there a little glimpse of... Another leader, another saviour that God is going to raise up. And who will bring to a river to be baptised by someone called John. And he will be anointed by the Holy Spirit to enter his ministry. And his ministry will culminate in the cross and in the resurrection. And through that, he will not only lead people out of Egypt, but out of their sin. And into the freedom of knowing him as saviour. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to see in this story a little glimpse of a coming Savior that we know only too well. Well, thank you for listening.